good morning. Welcome to the Orchard. We're glad you were here with us, whether in person or joining us online. And I want to let you know, today's an anniversary. I looked back a year ago today, and guess where we were? You weren't here. You might be where you are, but you weren't here. We were all in shelter-in-place orders. You guys remember those days? Remember the shelter-in-place? I mean, those were the days you would sleep in your pajamas and wake up dressed for work. Am I right? I remember, I remember those days. Finally, just falling back and relaxing on the couch after a stressful day on the couch. Which is hard. And then, and then there was the, the toilet paper shortage. It especially hit, hit my family. It got desperate. And we had to start using newspaper. Um, the times were especially tough. I know. I know you're groaning at these. But the worst part is if I continued to tell you a coronavirus joke today, it'd take you two weeks to know if you got it or not. So, and, 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 and honestly, let's just put the jokes aside. Here's the problem with quarantine jokes. They're all inside jokes. Okay, that, that's enough, that's enough. I, I, I would tell you more COVID-19 jokes, but they're all tasteless. I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist having a little bit of fun of being stuck inside, but it's timely because today, well, today we're talking about being stuck in a different way. Stuck in our, instead of being stuck in our home, stuck in our life, stuck in our hearts, stuck in our sins, stuck in our spiritual world. And Jesus today has a strong message for us about those places where we're stuck. So turn with me to John chapter 5. You may know we've been working through the book of John, elevating Jesus throughout this year. And today we're in John chapter 5. You can open your Bible, you can scroll with me, or you can read on the screens. John 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colon, covered colonnades. You know, John is setting the stage here for an encounter that we're going to look at today. He's bringing in locations and different clues, and, and for the longest time, there was no actual evidence that this place existed. In fact, there were commentaries, commentators, some of them, who contended that this location that John's talking about was a metaphorical one, not a historical one. But in the 19th century, archaeologists discovered something. They found this reservoir. They found this basin here north of the temple. And then as they continued to dig, they found five colonnades, five porticos. They continued to find what was the Pool of Bethesda. And so now looking at this story, through historical evidence, we have Jesus and his disciples coming for a festival in Jerusalem, and they're at a specific, specific historical location. John's painting us a picture. They are at the Pool of Bethesda, north of the temple. And here is what John records they saw when they got to the Pool of Bethesda. Verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. You see, Jesus and his disciples, they, they, they arrive on this area, and they show up, and there are the hurting and the sick and the suffering. Each of them would bring with them a mat, or someone would carry their mat for them, and they would put their mat down, and that's where they would sit or lie there. And these are people who had very difficult circumstances in their society. You see, there was no civil rights, no, no equal rights for the disabled. They had to rely on the goodwill of their families to let them live there, and the goodwill of strangers as they, they would beg for money. 
the sheep gate was well used. It was an entrance and exit for many people. And so you can see that the disabled or the invalids, they would go to the sheep gate where they could sit. They could put their mat down and, and they could beg throughout the day and receive the kindness of strangers. And then they would move to the pool of Bethesda for some rest and some cooling off from the heat. But the Bible gives us clues as to why else they would go to the pool of Bethesda. Verse 4. And here they waited the hurting, the sick, for the moving of the waters. From time to time, the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. First one, the first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. It's an interesting tidbit that, that isn't in some of your translations. But the bottom line is this. It was there to give some added context as to why these people who were incapacitated were surrounding this pool. Why were they there? Now, did an angel ripple the waters? Did the angel actually come down and ripple the waters and heal somebody? We don't know. I don't know. It could have been God. It could have been a legend of the people of that time. But we do know. What we do know is that the people of this place and this time, they believed with all their heart that if the water rippled and they were the first one in, they would be healed. So far we know this. A great number of disabled people were lying around, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And here by the pool of Bethesda, they have come for a chance at healing. And can you imagine the scene? Like, if you imagine this, could you, could you picture what's happening? We have surrounding this pool the sick, the disabled, the suffering people. And what are they doing? They're just staring at the water, just waiting to see if it ripples at all. Waiting to see if there's any disturbance. And at the first sign, the first ripple, there would be this mass stampede of humanity, of distressed people stumbling or, or limping or crawling or, or maybe somebody carrying a friend to, to, to see who could get to the water. And then this big crashing into the pool, hoping, hoping that they would get their miracle. That they could finally, from the water, come up and yell in exaltation and never visit the pool of Bethesda again. That was the hope. At any moment, this peaceful poolside would turn into a cacophony of chaos. Just desperate people with desperate needs hanging on by, by just a thread of hope. That if they could only get in the water first, they'd be forever changed. If only I could get to the water first. If only, then I'd be free. Then I'd be healed. Then I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't be blind. I wouldn't be hurting. If only I could get to the water. If only. This pool is, is a, such a strange mixture of hope and hopelessness. We have hopeless people who are afflicted with hardship, but they, they show up every day to sit and watch a pool of water, hoping beyond hope that today they could be the first one in. They don't have much hope, but what hope they do have is in that pool of Bethesda. And now, John, the author, he brings in the final piece of our story. Let's read. Verse 5. There was a man there who had been invalid for 38 years. 38 years. 38 years of suffering. And, and we have to remember, this is just one person out of the many around this, this, this pool. And it says here he's an invalid, which makes us think that he, he's been disabled for a long time and his muscles are probably atrophied over 38 years. He can't walk. This isn't something the man isn't well acquainted with. He's been like this for 38 years. This tells us that the man is also probably a fixture 
at this place. He likely requires someone to carry him down or help him down to this area every day. He, he begs at the sheep gate, and then he, he moves over to the pool of Bethesda or is moved over there where he, he hopes for healing. He lives with his family, and, and during the day, he's at one of those two locations, either begging for money or, or begging for healing. But for some reason, amidst the crowd of hurting people, amidst all those people, Jesus singles him out. And in, in verse 6, read with me. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Now before we get to the question, let's see what happens before that. Jesus does a few things. First of all, Jesus sees the man. It's important not to gloss over this detail. Jesus sees him in his affliction. Now, the man's condition is public, isn't it? You can see he's an invalid, but here's the reality. If we're honest, in this society, in that day and time, he, he would have become invisible in their society. He would have at some point began just to blend into to the background. He's a staple at one of those few spots at the gate or at the, at the pool. He's got his dusty cloth mat that is his home for 12 hours. He's not going to walk to the Zion gate. He's not going to fly to the Mayo Clinic. No, this is his home. This mat is his home. And he's in one of these two locations. And at some point, over 38 years of begging and just laying, he turns in, he, he blends into the background. As people go about their busy lives, as they bustle and go about their business, they look over him. They look past him. No one sees him anymore. Except for one man. Jesus arrives here and sees this man. He sees people who feel they've been looked over. Jesus sees those who feel like their suffering is invisible. And today, you need to know that Jesus sees you. For, for someone listening today, maybe this is what you need to know. He sees your broken heart. He sees your broken hope. Jesus sees where you're stuck in secret sin. Jesus sees your sources of private pain, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, it could be an illness, it, it could be an illness condition you're, you're, you have, it could be someone, something else, someone else has it, it could be anything. But, but at some point, something moved into your life and just became a part of you, became part of the scenery, became part of who you are. And people might not see it that much, they might see part of it, but they don't see the private struggle that you have. No one sees the private sadness or the shame of what's going on in your internal life. No one sees just how much it's impacting your joy and your hope. It could, it could be for many of us that anxiety at some point moved in. And, and no one really knows how much that anxiety owns you and robs your joy. It could be loneliness. It could be loneliness that is so lonely you, you don't or you can't talk to anybody about it. Just compounding it. It could be something that robs your health, but it's private. Whatever it is, whether in your struggle or in your shame or in your sadness, we need to know that Jesus sees us and he sees you. It says here, when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been like this for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? The other thing I want us to see in this verse is that Jesus not only saw the man, it says, it says he knows the man. Now it says in your translation perhaps that he learned about the condition. But I believe based on the language here, the better way to say it would be that Jesus knew he had been in this condition for a long time. 
And this is nothing new for Jesus. He has inside information on humanity. In fact, in John 2.24, it says, Jesus knew all people. And the next verse, John 2.25, it says, he knew what was in each person. Supernatural insight from the Holy Spirit about what's in a person. Jesus knows this man. Not just his physical condition. Not just it's been 38 years. He knows what's in the man's heart. He knows what's in the, man, my, the man's head. He knows his hopes, his dreams, his hurts. He knows the man. And, and perhaps for you today, this is something to plant your hope back in afresh. That Jesus knows your struggle. That Jesus knows your hope. See, man, Jesus knows those places where you've given up hope. He knows those things in your heart and life that you can't verbalize to another human. And today, you may have showed up or you may have logged on in need of some hope. And the first place to begin is right here. That Jesus sees you in your struggle. And that Jesus knows you in that. That your hurts and hardships, they aren't unnoticed. That your tears aren't shed unseen. That there's a Savior who loves you and sees you. And there's a Savior who loves you and knows you. You aren't unknown to your creator. And more than that, he wants you to know he's not done with you. He's not sick of you. He's not tired of you. He sees you and a smile breaks out on his face because you know what? He created you. He loves you. You, You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the one true God. You're seen, you're known, you're loved, you're forgiven. Jesus sees you and calls you out of your current mess. He calls you to a new way of living. He calls you to a new way of loving. A new way of loving him, a new way of loving people, and a new way of loving yourself. He sees you, and he knows you. And he's not done with you. And my prayer is that whether you're online or whether you're in this place, that the Spirit of God is whispering to you once again, I see you, I know you, I love you. I forgive you, and I call you to a new way of living. And here in John 5, Jesus sees and knows this man's heart, his thoughts, his hopes, his desires, which is why, if we're honest, it's so strange when he asks the next question. This next question is so strange. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I mean, without some context, this might seem cruel, right? Or mean. We have an invalid man sitting next to a pool of water, hoping against hope that it ripples, he can win the the race into it and be well, and Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? Why would Jesus ask this? If we're truly honest, if we're truly honest with ourselves, Sometimes there are people who don't want to be healed. Sometimes there are people who don't want to be set free. There are addicts who don't want to be sober. There are people who get so stuck in our own situation that we've come to own it. There are lonely people who don't really want to change anything to make room for another person. There are anxious people who cling to their anxiety. And there are ill people who their sickness becomes their identity. Jesus asked this question, but he often asks the most obvious questions to some people in the Bible. You'll see this because while he knows their heart, he wants them to verbalize their heart. He wants their heart to be known to themselves. And so he asked this man this obvious question, do you want to get well? And the man answered, sir, 
The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get to the inn, someone else goes down ahead of me. Like, I lose the race. Now, notice he doesn't answer Jesus' question, but instead gives Jesus a reason why he can't get down to the water. He didn't answer the question, yeah, I, w- I want to get well. You see, this man reveals that he's living with an if-only hope. An if-only prayer. If only I had someone to help me get in the pool. If only I was the first one in. But he's an invalid. And when the water is stirred, it's a race. And he's typically not going to excel at this kind of race. He's stuck. This man is stuck in every sense of the word. Physically, he's stuck. He's an invalid. But emotionally and mentally, he's stuck because he's stuck in an if-only hope. If-only if only I could be the first one down. But also, catch this, he's stuck spiritually. This man is sick. And he's staring at a pool of water, hoping it can heal him. While the water of life stands before him, offering healing. This man's focused on the wrong water. What little hope he has left, this man is placed in the wrong well. He's hoping the waters are disturbed and he can get there and get wet first while the living water is making waves and offering him healing. His faith is invalid as well. This man has hope. We have to admit, the man has hope, but his hope is where? It's in the wrong place. His hope is placed in something this world has to offer. Catch that. He has hope. It's placed in something this world has to offer. He has his hope in the wrong place. So let me ask you this. It's an obvious question. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Have you placed your hope in being saved or healed or transformed or set free in something the world has to offer us? Maybe hoping a certain person can come and completely complete you? Maybe hoping a certain politician can come and save our nation. Maybe hoping a certain circumstance can come and just change our situation. If only we have these, don't we? His was, if only I can be in the water first. If only I could get down there. But we have our own if onlys, if we're honest. Let's be honest. If only I was married. If only I was single. If only I could have children. If only I wasn't addicted. If only I wasn't in debt. If only I had peace. If only I had joy. If only I had the right job or or the right spouse or the right look. Or if only I lived in the right place. If only is the hallmark of misplaced hope and invalid faith. If only. This man's if only is in the pool of Bethesda. And I have to pause and ask. What is your pool of Bethesda? Where in life have you placed your hope? What's your pool of Bethesda at work? If only. What's the if only at work that would change everything? What's your pool of Bethesda in your marriage or your relationship or lack thereof? If only this would happen, I'd be happy. What's the pool of Bethesda for your heart? If, if only that, then I would be content. I'd be happy. I'd have peace. You see, the reality is, people, 
We all lay beside a pool of Bethesda somewhere in our lives as a source of hope from this world, hoping that it can change us, that it can do what we hope it will do. And how often do our hearts whisper an if-only prayer? If only God would come through, then I would pursue him. If only this would happen, God, well, then I'd be okay. And I want to just pause and give you a glimpse of what spiritual maturity can look like from an if-only life. You see, if-only prayers and if-only faith at their core are a transaction. If only this, then this. It's a bargain. If only God does this, then I this. And many of us live with an if-only faith, waiting for God. But God doesn't bargain. And God doesn't offer a transaction. God offers a relationship. And if we're willing, if we're willing to allow him to grow us and stretch us in some places and stop bargaining with him and stop the if-onlys, then guess what? Our if-only turns to even if. Our if-only prayers turn to even if declarations. You see, we go from a faith that says, if only this could happen, then I'll pursue you, to a faith that says, even if this never happens, I'll pursue you. And the gap between those two if statements, that's the work of spiritual maturity that the Spirit is leading us as a church into. To move from a people who would say, if only, to even if. God wants us to move from an if-only faith to an even-if faith. And our assignment, if you, if, if you go home and you're going to journal or go back through this, here's your assignment. Go through your life and write down your if-only prayers or your if-only hopes or your if-only wishes, if-only this, then so much of this would be okay. Write those down. And if you can, write down next to it an even-if prayer. Maybe for the first time, even if I'm not healed, I will still pursue. Even if that person never comes along, I will still have faith. Whatever it would be for you, whatever your even if would be, I would say that that's, that's, that's a pathway to some spiritual growth in your life, to move from if only to even if. All of this talk is putting Jesus back in his rightful place. And, and I've told you before, and I'm going to keep telling you throughout this series, in 2021, uh, we're going to elevate Jesus above all things all year. Because we've gone through a gauntlet of fears and frustrations and chaos and concerns and false hopes that the society, and we've allowed it to be put above Jesus, if we're honest. And so we are going to, this year, declare Jesus Christ above all things. And, and here it is. It's time. It's time for many of us to put Jesus back on the throne of our heart. It has a lot to do with your if-only statements, and it has a lot to do with your hope. Anywhere you have a pool of Bethesda, 
Anywhere you have your hopes in something of this world, that's misplaced hope, and Jesus needs to be elevated there. Is Jesus on the throne of your life? Have your, own, have your if-onlys turned to even-ifs? Jesus ultimately is the only place where our hopes won't let us down. And he continues, this man confessed to Jesus that his hope was in the pool of Bethesda. Did you catch that? The man confessed. My, if only I can get down there. He confessed where his hope was. And guess what Jesus says? Look at Jesus' response. He, he declares, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Amazing. And I want to capture a few things here that are important to notice. It doesn't say that Jesus healed this man because the man had such a great faith. It, it just doesn't. In fact, the man was told to, 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 to get up and grab his mat, something he hasn't done in 38 years, right? Directly after voicing that his hope was in that pool of water. Jesus heals the man almost in spite of his faith and his hope being in something else. And we have no indication that this man knew who Jesus was, as a human or as Messiah. You see, sometimes God works in this way. And that's why I believe, I just want to tell you today, it's important not to feel guilty for your doubts. And instead, let your doubt lead you toward Jesus, not feeling condemned for them and going further away from Jesus. God loves and heals this man without some grand statement of faith, no hand-raising, no yelling, nothing. The man wanted in the water, and Jesus declared him healed. God moves on behalf of people sometimes despite our frailty, despite the frailty of our faith. And there's a few groups here today I want to finish with. I want to talk to a couple different groups that are here today. And for some of us, you're hurting. You're struggling. And you identify with this, this man. You're desperate. You're desperate for healing, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally. You are desperate. You're desperate to be set free from something. There is something that's got you shackled, and you want to be free. You identify with this man. And today, your prayer during communion is to, to reset your hope in the author of hope. To place your hope back in Jesus. To ask forgiveness for the pools of Bethesda where you'd hope would come through for you, but haven't. And just so you know, they, they won't. Today, Jesus asks you to place your hope in him in a fresh way. And, and here's, the, here's the truth. For those people who, for those of us who are, who are struggling or in hardship, hope sometimes is the hardest thing to re-engage. Because hope makes you open to to loss again, to hurt again. And so sometimes we just, we, we don't want to hope. Or we place our hope in something small, something little of this earth, a little, a little pool of Bethesda. And, and today, maybe, you, you place a fresh hope in Jesus. I'm not asking you to go, to go place old hope or do it the way you used to do it. I'm asking you maybe for a new hope, a fresh de declaration of Jesus. It's been a while since I've had hope in this area. But I declare you my king. I put you in your rightful place. Forgive me for my pool of Bethesda's where I have been placing my hope. I place them in you again. And even if, even if it's not resolved, 
my faith will stand. But for others listening today, and I, and I thought about this, this, this really hit me this morning. Because there are people here engaging today who you, you would say, I don't identify too much with that man and his suffering. I'm not, I'm not like that guy. But I want to pause and notice something about this man. He was at the pool to place his hopes. And what did he do? He brought his mat as close as he could, right? Because he wanted to get him. He brought his mat as close as he could. He set his mat down. He set his life upon his mat as close as he could to the pool of his hopes. Stick with me. This man carved out the best life he could next to the source of his hope. He carved out the best life he could next to the source of his hope. And, and sure, we can admit, guys, can't we? It's not much of a life, right? We would say, like, but, but he did the best he could under his conditions to build a life next to his hope. He found his source of, of earthly hope, and he settled on his mat there. And here's the, here's the truth. Many of us are doing the same thing. We aren't suffering maybe this, the way this man is, but our faith is as invalid as his body. We have found a source of hope in this life, and we have built our life as close as we could to it, as best we could. We settle on the mat and make the best hope we can, make the best life we can next to our earthly hopes. Now, our, our, our pool of hope, it might not be healing like his was physical, but our pool of hope might be financial security, the American dream, family, happiness. Happiness is a big one. Comfort, security, accomplishment, kids' activities, career, education, the list of Bethesda's is limitless. And just like the man, we settle near it and we build a life near our hopes as best we can. Now, our mat might look different than his dusty old cloth. Um, it's still a mat, though. We've added some bling to it. We've bedazzled the edges through college. We got some accomplishments and put some flair on there. Like we put our, pinned our badges on there. Our, we've built our life up as best as we could. We've carved out a life for ourselves. But in the end... We built it next to a pool, and it's still a mat. Here's the truth. This is it. We were never intended to settle on a mat. We were intended to set out on a mission. We were never intended to wait by a pool. We were intended to walk with a purpose. Our lives, our faith was never intended to settle on a mat. It was to set out on a mission. We're intended to give our lives pursuing Jesus. And the challenge here for, for us is, is we like the mat we've built. We like the life that we've built for ourselves. It's comfortable, isn't it? It's secure. We don't have to be the, the man who's suffering. We could be the man who's comfortable, the woman who's comfortable. We're still on a mat next to our hopes of this world. When Jesus approaches our life, he asks us, do you want to get well? And we don't understand. We're doing good, right? Life's pretty good, isn't it? It's not terrible. What do you mean, do I want to get well? It's pretty good. 
What he's asking is, do you want to leave your mat for the life I've called you to? Do you see why Jesus asked this question now? Because he's asking it of you. Because the reality is we like our lives. We like the little life we've carved for ourselves next to the hopes. We, we, we're used to our lives. We have goals. We have dreams. We've realized some of them. And, and maybe things aren't that bad. But Jesus declares to each of us, whether you're invalid physically or invalid spiritually or whatever, can do, whether you're comfortable and secure, he says this, get up. Get up. Take your mat, your old life, you're not going to need that anymore. And walk in faith and purpose and mission. He's calling you to a new life of pursuing him. So stop settling on the mat and set out on the mission of loving God and loving people and declaring Jesus. Your faith was never, never intended to be settled. It was intended to be wild and set free and to love in amazing ways so the world could see a Savior. Stop placing our hopes in earthly pleasures and, and place our hopes in heavenly purposes. We may not connect with the suffering of the man, but perhaps in my prayer all, all week has been this, that the Spirit of God would speak to each of our hearts and say, you've settled. You've settled near earthly hopes and dreams. Take up your mat and take up my mission. Leave the pool and live for a purpose. You know, Jesus didn't force the man to get up. He didn't even help him up. He said, get up. He leaves it up to us. You, you, can, you can stay there. You can stay there. But he's calling you to get up and follow him. Stop being comfortable in your faith and your life and place your hope in him. My prayer is that God's spirit is, is whispering even now that you hear in your heart, in your faith, in your life, get up, get up, take your mat, you don't need it. And walk in purpose and new life. So today, whether you are, whether you are like the man stuck in hardship and suffering and desperately needing something, or whether you're over here and you're comfortable in your life, we both have a mat. And we all have a pool of Bethesda where we have placed our hopes in something in this world. And his call is the same. Get up. Take your mat. And let's go. As we go into communion, whichever side that you would say, I'm, I, that's me, I want you to have some moments to pray and let the Spirit of God speak to you. Perhaps it's an if only. You're stuck on if only faith. You need to, you need to move to even if. And perhaps you realize, you, man, you've settled. We're going to go into communion during this party. And I would, I would encourage you to take some, some definite time to think and pray through that. And if you're here today and you have extra prayer that you would like, you want someone to pray with you through this stuff. Maybe you are suffering and you want someone to pray for your suffering. You're in this room. We have a prayer corner back there. And I have, we have some prayer warriors who are back there willing to, to pray over you. But let us engage in this moment. The Spirit of God wants to speak to your heart in a way I never could and never can. Right now. Let's listen.